You're listening to Sailing Stories from Sail Magazine. Today, Bill Pinckney, A Singular Sailor, by Wendy Mittman Clark, read to you by Lydia Mullen. Editor's Note This story was first published in July 2021 in Sail's sister publication, Soundings. At the time, Bill Pinckney had been nominated to the National Sailing Hall of Fame, but not inducted. He was inducted into the NSHOF in October of 2021, earning a Lifetime Achievement Award. Bill Pinckney passed away unexpectedly on August 31st, 2023, at 87 years old. It's about a two-block bike ride from Bill Pinckney's house in Fajardo, Puerto Rico, to the marina where a 44-foot Norseman catamaran is moored. He knows the boat well. Until the pandemic crushed the charter boat industry last year, he and his wife Magdalia led charters aboard it for a Chicago-based partner. Now, Pinckney is a boat nanny instead. The pandemic also crushed the partner's business, so he sold the boat, and Pinckney is looking after it for the new owner. That's the way it goes. First your money, then your clothes. Pinckney laughs ruefully. It is that quick, wise sense of humor about the vagaries of boats and life that makes Pinckney seem 85 years young. Nor does it hurt that the former professional limbo dancer can still cut a serious rug. It's also a trait that helped him become the first African-American to solo circumnavigate via the Five Capes, along the way inspiring tens of thousands of youngsters to think outside of any boxes society placed them in. When he sailed his valiant 47 commitment into Cape Town, South Africa, he was one in a line of countless sailors over generations who had done the same. What set him apart was the way that he did it. The year was 1990. Just 10 months earlier, Nelson Mandela had been freed from Robben Island after 27 years of imprisonment. Apartheid was still in place, despite growing international pressure to end it. The country was a tinderbox of unrest, anger, and tension. Pinckney could have slipped across Table Bay just as the handful of racing sailors completing leg one of the year's BOC challenge had done weeks before. But the time, the place, and the wind were right, and the sailor was ready. He raised his red, black, and green spinnaker. These were the colors African-Americans displayed as a banner in our struggle for freedom from second-class citizenship and discrimination, Pinckney writes in his memoir, As Long As It Takes. I wanted all to see who I was and where I came from. As he approached Robben Island, another boat came out to greet him, this one skippered by South African sailor Neil Peterson, whom Pinckney had befriended while Peterson was in the U.S., drumming up support for his own effort to become the first black person to solo circumnavigate nonstop. Pinckney stopped in five ports, some more than once, on his journey. I had gone through what you were going through with segregation in the U.S., and now I'm coming to South Africa where the same system is in play, Pinckney said in an interview with Peterson years later. And for both of us to be standing on our dreams and to say to the world, hey, we can make it, this whole thing on both sides is ridiculous, it was a very important statement to make. It was also a bold statement to make in that place and time, but Pinckney is nothing if not intrepid, willing to push himself to live outside others' perceived boundaries in order to achieve his goals. To categorize him as a black sailor, an adventurer, a groundbreaker, is to circumscribe someone who has constantly defied such narrow definition. After his 32,000-mile circumnavigation ended in June 1992, an accomplishment that was read into the congressional record and became the subject of a Peabody award-winning documentary, Pinckney got involved with another exceptional project, Mystic Seaport's construction of the Amistad. He also became the first captain of the schooner, a replica of the ship on which an 1839 revolt by would-be slaves sailing from Cuba became the first case of its kind to go before the U.S. Supreme Court. 
In 2010, Pinckney was aboard when Amistad sailed into Havana, Cuba under the U.S., Cuban, and U.N. flags in recognition of the U.N.'s International Day of Remembrance of victims of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. A nominee to the National Sailing Hall of Fame, Pinckney has not yet been inducted. He did a hell of a thing, says Mark Schrader, who in 1983 became the first American to solo circumnavigate via the Five Capes and went on to sail Lone Star, which Pinckney purchased for his journey and renamed Commitment in the 1986-87 BOC Challenge. It wasn't easy, but he kept at it, and he did it with a sense of humor. My friend Bill Pinckney and his cohort, Paul Mixon, are some of sailing's real heroes, Peter Johnston, founder and former president of the multi-hull company Gunboat International, wrote in a 2007 letter to Scuttlebutt. These guys have a dream and they simply do it. It is pure love of life and sailing, an inspiration for us all. The circuitous route that led Pinckney into the history books began on Chicago's south side, where he grew up under the careful wing of his single mother. She worked as a domestic and instilled in her son an adaptability he would rely upon to navigate as a young black man in America. She taught us the rules of etiquette, Pinckney says. When the phone rang at our house and my mother answered it, I could tell who she was talking to by how she spoke. If she was talking to someone who was white or in authority, her English was impeccable. No slang, no accent, impeccable. When she talked to one of her sisters or friends, it was jargon, slang, everything else. Understanding how to function, where you need to function. That showed me that adaptability was survivability. If you don't adapt, you won't survive. Had I not had that ability in a lot of situations, I would not have been successful. In a 2019 New York Times story, The Perfect Divorce, Pinckney's second wife, Ina, a gregarious white Jewish woman whom he married against his parents' wishes in 1965, summed up this trait perfectly. Bill has self-preservation in his DNA. He knows how to relate to any person anywhere, and though he was often the only black man in the room, he is comfortable everywhere. Pinckney wasn't an avid student, but he was a voracious bookworm, and in the seventh grade he read Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry, the story of a young Polynesian boy who overcomes isolation and ostracism by embarking on a hero's journey at sea. It resonated deeply with Pinckney, who was struggling with feeling like an outcast in school. He would sit on the shore of Lake Michigan and ponder what was on the other side. It wasn't until much later in life I put those two things together, wanting to see the water and wanting to have a great adventure, and putting them together in the form of sailing. During high school, Pinckney joined the Naval Reserve. After he graduated in 1954, he embarked on eight years of active duty. After being discharged, he returned to Puerto Rico, where he'd been stationed for a time, and got his first real sailing experience on small inter-island boats that moved goods down island. That was such a joy. I was so fascinated by these guys who had a little compass and three lanterns, red, green, and white, and that was it. And they'd take off at night and end up the next morning in St. Thomas or St. Croix, he says. And they were excellent sailors. The sails were made of just about anything you could think of. They had more patchwork on them than a patchwork quilt. The boats had a little cutty, but primarily they were using all the space to carry cinder blocks, Coca-Colas, sometimes refrigerators and stoves that people had purchased at Sears in Puerto Rico. They used the space very judiciously. If you wanted a nap, you found a space on deck where you could just curl up. Eventually, Pinckney returned to New York City, where he moved to the East Village and cast about for his future course. 
It was here that he met and married Ina and began working as a makeup artist, which would lead him to a career in the beauty industry, specializing in products for African-American women. He joined Revlon in 1973, becoming the company's first black marketing executive. When he took a job with another company in Chicago in the late 1970s, he began sailing and racing on Lake Michigan and purchased his first boat, a Pearson Triton he called Asagai, a Berber word describing a short, jabbing sphere. I have a picture of that boat on my desk. I loved that boat, he says. By 1985, approaching the age of 50 and sick of corporate life, Pinckney's youthful dream of adventure beckoned. He conceived the idea of solo circumnavigating, using the experience to inspire his two grandchildren. But what began as a fairly modest idea morphed into something much grander. By the time Pinckney began his voyage on commitment, he had been recording videos and communicating via single sideband with some 30,000 students in Chicago and Boston schools. I wanted to prove to kids with backgrounds similar to mine, especially black males, that they didn't have to give into statistics that they were likely to do drugs, die in a gang fight, or end up in a jail, he writes, in as long as it takes. They could be successful if they persevered. While using sailing as a vehicle for traditional school subjects, he also focused his unique lens on aspects of culture in the stopover ports that he believed would intrigue students at home. In Salvador de Bahia, Brazil, for instance, he described the influence of African enslaved people on the city's music and culture while filming Capoeira, a hybrid martial arts-based dance form that originated among enslaved peoples. I wanted to show my students at home how many of their fads, like breakdancing, had roots somewhere else, he says in the documentary. Todd Johnson, a longtime sailor who led the Boston-based group Combos that largely funded Pinckney's voyage and who also was his primary contact and weather assist over its duration, says Pinckney's desire to inspire young people, both during and after the trip, was key. Kids got something out of this, and it wasn't math, science, or geography. It was knowing that Bill, who had been born into a difficult situation on the south side of Chicago, had made something of himself, Johnson said. When Bill came back to Boston, there were about 5,000 kids waiting for him on the dock. Pinckney's journey was a repeated lesson in adaptability. He had set off with relatively little offshore experience and virtually no solo passage making aboard commitment. Though he was methodical and conservative, sailing across any ocean, and especially through the Southern Ocean and around Cape Horn, is never without risk and trial. Every time you go sailing, you learn something new about sailing, the weather, the boat, yourself, because you're challenged, he says. One of the worst times, he says, was after leaving Hobart, Tasmania, bound for Cape Horn and coming down with what he believes was the flu. I thought we had lost him overboard, says Johnson, who was tracking Pinckney via Argos transmitter. I knew Bill was extremely cautious about staying tethered all the time, but there was no communication for three days combined with a plot that was just unbelievably erratic. We were really concerned. Pinckney says he recorded two videos to be shown to the students if he was lost at sea. Mindful of how Krista McAuliffe's death and the Challenger disaster had traumatized students who were following her, he wanted to be sure they knew the risk he had taken was one he accepted knowingly. I knew the dangers involved in following my dream, and I asked them to continue following theirs and never give up. After completing his circumnavigation, touring countless schools, helping develop the documentary of his voyage, and writing a children's book, Pinckney, in 1994, joined the board of Mystic Seaport, where his work with Amistad began.
He also founded the Middle Passage Institute, a project to enable teachers to sail to Africa and develop curricula about the effects of the transatlantic slave trade. He also joined the board of the American Sailing Training Association. He remains an overseer with SEA, the Sea Education Association. Next year will mark 30 years since he finished his circumnavigation. There are days I would love to be transported right back out there again, he says. But along with a bucket list item of being at the Formula One Grand Prix, he'd settle for a transatlantic from the Med to Barbados or St. Lucia. That's downwind all the way, Christmas sleigh ride, he muses. And I'd like to do it on a big multi-hull, like a gunboat 66. Down one with that baby, whoa. Put up a code zero and boogie. This article was originally published in the July 2021 issue of our sister magazine, Soundings. For more, visit sailmagazine.com or soundingsonline.com.